All right, I want to share with you one of my favorite ideas, really one of my, the most quintessential foundational Torah ideas that I think is possibly one of the most life-changing lessons I've ever learned. And I say this idea quite frequently, but I want to share with you the, the primary sources, and it really has to do with Purim. So the Talmud says a very interesting thing. The Talmud says that when the Jews accepted the Torah at Mount Sinai, the Torah uses an interesting expression. It says that the Jews camped under the mountain. And the Talmud says, no, it's not, it's not just a, an expression. It means literally the Jews were under the mountain. Why? The Talmud says that God held the mountain over the heads of the Jewish nation and said, if you accept the Torah, great. If not, I'm going to crush you with the mountain. And um, it's an interesting story. It's interesting just at face value. Why is God forcing us to accept the Torah? But additionally, the problem is made greater because of two additional issues. One is that the, the Torah tells us that the Jewish people said two words which were the most historically radical words in history. When God asked them if they wanted to accept the Torah, what did they say? They said, Nasevanishma. That means we will do and we will listen. Now, normally, if I tell you something and say, Would you like to follow my instructions? You say, Yeah. Tell me what you want me to do, and then I'll do it. But the Jewish people didn't say that. They didn't say, first we'll listen to what you have to say, and then we'll do it. They said, no, we'll do, and we'll listen, which means we'll do whatever you want us to do, even if we don't understand it. Even before we hear it, we want to do it. And the, 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 the commentaries explained that this was the, the greatest statement that the Jewish people could make, which essentially is, we're all in. We're all in. We, we want the Torah. We want to be connected to God's will. So if the Jewish people said, we're all in, so why did God have to then force them to accept the Torah? On top of that, we have another issue, is that another Talmudic teaching says that when God held the mountain over the Jewish people's heads, he wasn't threatening to crush them. On the contrary, he was holding the mountain over their heads like a wedding canopy, like a chuppah. And the Mount Sinai was essentially a marriage between the Jewish people and God. It's very problematic if we put those two teachings together because in Judaism, in order for a wedding to be effective, in order to be married, both parties have to willingly want to get married. There's no such thing as a, as a forced arranged marriage in Judaism. So if the Jewish people were forced to accept the Torah, that means the marriage was not a kosher marriage. It means it was forced. Coercion is not, it's not a marriage. Marriage is when both parties want in. So how do we understand this idea? Okay, you follow so far? Okay, so a great medieval commentary on the Talmud asks this question, Tosvos asks this question, and, and answers that why did the Jewish people have to be forced to accept the Torah if they already accepted the Torah willingly? And he answers because someday they're going to see what he says is the Eish HaGadola, the great fire, and they're going to want to back out. 
Now, I'm not clear what he's talking about, this great fire, but I want to share with you what I believe the message is that he's trying to tell us. And before I get to the answer, I'll share with you the next teaching in the Talmud. The Talmud, this all appears in, in Masechtas, in the Tractate of Shabbat, on page, I believe, 89. The next teaching in the Talmud says as follows, Although the Jewish people were forced to accept the Torah at Mount Sinai, they later on, many thousands of years later, accepted the Torah willingly. When? At the time of the Purim story. At the Purim story it says, Later on, they accepted it in the days of Ahasuerus, the Persian emperor. As it says, They accepted and established. They accepted and established. And the Talmud says they accepted what had already been established previously. Which means that they accepted the Torah with a freshness all over again. Why at the time of Purim now was the Torah accepted for the right reasons and yet at Mount Sinai somehow it was accepted for the wrong reasons? So I want to share with you a life lesson. The life lesson is as follows. In life, there are essentially three phases of every experience. There's phase one, which is called inspiration. Inspiration is when things are new, exciting, and easy. When you start out on a new experience, or you go on a trip, or you get newly married, or you date someone love at first sight, or a new job, or beginner's luck, things go easy, and they're exciting. But if you go to that job, or that marriage, or that relationship, for a few months, two months, six months, a year, suddenly, it's no longer fresh, it's no longer new. And you begin to lose that inspiration. And then begins phase two, which is called integration. Integration takes place when you lose the inspiration. You're left without really wanting to do it, thinking maybe I married the wrong person. You know, every time a student on campus used to date someone, they say, Rabbi, I found the right one, it's amazing. And then like six months later, they come back and be like, Rabbi, it's not the right one. Why? We just don't feel it anymore. We lost that spark. So the reality is, is just because you lost the spark does not mean it wasn't the right one. On the contrary, it means now's your chance to earn it. It started out easy. It started out exciting. There was passion. There was chemistry. You did nothing to deserve that. It was a natural combination of hormones and hormones and basically endorphins released in the brain because you feel the urge to mate. But the reality is, is that doesn't mean that's a good relationship. What makes a good relationship is when two people are committed to do the work, despite the fact that they don't always feel it. When you say I'm all in to a relationship, what you're saying is even the days when I don't want to make you breakfast and bread, or take out the garbage, or say good morning, or kiss you goodnight, I'm gonna do it anyway. That's love. Love begins when the inspiration of infatuation ends. True love is when you don't always feel it. 
but you do it anyway because you're all in. You're committed to giving and caring for another person. That's the definition of love. Love begins in the integration phase. The integration phase is where we take that inspiration and we actually make it part of us. How? By earning it, by doing the work, even though we don't necessarily feel it. And then comes stage three. And stage three is when we've actually earned and owned the experience that now it's ours. And then the feeling and the inspiration comes back, but now it's real. <laughs> because the reality is, is that free gifts don't last. But the stuff you work for, that's yours forever. And that's the cycle of life. Right? You've heard this before, right? So how do we understand this in the this Talmudic story that we just learned? Jewish people said, I do. God held the mountain over their heads. Which was it? Was it one or the other? Why do they need to be forced if they anyway said, I do already? And the answer, I believe, is that what was the forcing? What was the coercion at Mount Sinai? I believe the coercion was that the Jewish people had just literally come face to face with God. They saw the ten plagues of Egypt, the splitting of the sea. God spoke the entire nation at Mount Sinai. Had you been there, you couldn't not say yes. You couldn't not say I do. You were basically face to face with God. You were inspired. The inspiration, the fireworks, the thunder and brimstone of Mount Sinai was irresistible. The Jewish people really didn't have any free will. The saying we're all in was the exact same thing as the mountain being held over their heads. They couldn't not say we're all in. They had no choice. They were literally forced to accept the Torah because it was so tangible and so real. If God spoke to you, would you really have the choice to say, no, I'm not interested? So if that's the case, if we were so inspired and we were so in and we want part of this relationship, so what, what happened qualitatively that changed in the Purim story that meant it was a real love, a real commitment, a real acceptance of the relationship with God, the marriage, the receiving of the Torah that took place anew thousands of years later in the Persian Empire. So the Purim story we've discussed many times takes place in a time where God is completely hidden. There are no open miracles in the Purim story. In fact, the entire story from beginning to end is just a series of natural, seemingly natural coincidences. Had you looked at the newspaper headlines throughout the many years of the Purim story, you would have just seen, oh, Inflation, rising inflation, Putin invades Ukraine. You know, daily happenstances that you wouldn't have really tied them together or seen a master plan. But in the end, everything came together in a most beautiful way to reveal that God was running the show from beginning to end. As we've mentioned before, there is which major Jewish character is missing from the entire, from the Megillah, from the Scroll of Esther? You know? Hashem. There's no mention of God in the entire book of Esther. God is not present. The Purim story takes place in the integration phase, where you lose the inspiration. In fact, had you been there, you might have thought, God has abandoned me. Maybe I married the wrong person. Maybe it's not real. 
And yet, in that moment, in that moment when you doubt the relationship, when you doubt yourself, when you think, maybe I made a mistake, maybe it's not the right one, and then when you stay committed anyway, and you do the work, and you say, I'm all in, I'm going to make this work, that's when love becomes real. At that moment, the marriage between the Jewish people and God became an eternal marriage, an eternal bond. That wasn't because we were forced by the inspiration of the moment, but because we chose to stay, despite the fact that we felt nothing, because it was the right thing to do. That, my friends, is true love. If we can really get this message, then we'll have the tools to overcome any challenging experience in life. Because most of the times when we experience challenges, when we lose that inspiration and we question what we're doing, it's really God telling us, now's your turn to do the work, put in the effort. Because it's through those hard things in life, it's through those times when we don't feel it, that we really have the ability to grow and become the best person we can possibly be and to really earn the experience in a real way. So I want to wish you a beautiful Purim and a beautiful life, a life of commitment. If I ever have the opportunity to start my own therapy system, it's going to be called commitment therapy because commitment is the name of the game. Commitment separates the men from the boys. In life, most suffering comes about because we're not committed to the experience. I'll give you an example. If you ever find yourself stuck in traffic, it's really, really uncomfortable. You get really annoyed. You're like, ah. You keep making this ah noise, which is like your stomach clenching up. and You're just like, ah, I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied. I want to find a way out of this. But if you can realize that there's no way out, you're meant to be in traffic right now. You're not going anywhere. If you can accept the experience with mindfulness, with acceptance, with love, and be present, so then there's nothing really all that unpleasant about being stuck in traffic. Experience it with curiosity. Look around. There's something beautiful to look at, even when you're stuck in traffic. There's something to think about. There's something to be thankful for. If you accept and commit to the fact that this is where you're supposed to be, then traffic can actually be a pleasurable experience. It's the same with every uncomfortable sensation. If you're feeling it, uh, pain, pain in your back, instead of fighting and resisting that pain, accept that pain. Commit yourself to that experience. It's going to become a lot better. A lot of times, most of our suffering throughout our day is because of FOMO. We're like, maybe I should be doing that. Oh, maybe I should be doing that. Or we're constantly checking our phone and taking us away from the moment of wherever we are. If we could be committed to being here right now and opening up our mind to experience the experience of right now. So right now is really a great place to be. And the amazing thing is, wherever you are, you're right here, right now. Wherever you are in life, you have the chance to be here, now, in that experience, or you have the chance to wish you were someplace else. And whenever you wish you were someplace else, you're missing out the gift of the present. 
I always used to think that if I was in prison or in a concentration camp, God forbid, I could be really happy. But in my life as it is now, it's really hard to be happy. What's the, that sounds like a ludicrous concept, but do you hear what I'm saying? Because in prison, you have no choice but to be happy because that's the only thing you can do. If you spend your time in prison wishing you weren't in prison, you're going to be angry, frustrated, uncomfortable, annoyed. But if you could say, you know what, I have no choice. I'm stuck in prison. I might as well enjoy my prison experience. So you can actually turn it into a paradise. On the, con on the other hand, if you're free and your whole life you're thinking about what you don't have, so you're really in prison. So it's all about your perspective. So if we can commit to being here in the moment, committing to the experience that we have, whether we like them or not, recognize that committing to that job, committing to that relationship, committing to that house or that spouse or that community or to yourself, to your body, to your parents, to your children, if you can commit to the, the experiences that you have and the scenarios that you have in your life, so then you can begin to recognize the good in what you have. Because if you're committed to something, you have no choice but to make it work.